0: song. It's time for the reading of God's Word. Uh, We have two passages of Scripture we'll be looking at today, and uh, you can follow along on the screen, or there'll be Bibles there in the rack in front of you. The first passage of Scripture we'll be looking at is 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 10. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 10, and those who are able to all stand at this time. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, and then we'll be turning over to Acts Chapter Seventeen, in just a moment. Second Timothy Four, and verse number ten. I'll read, and you can follow along. The Bible says, "For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica; Crescens to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia." Then, if you'll turn over to our second passage, Acts Chapter Seventeen, Acts. Chapter 17. Acts 17. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 of Acts. Chapter 17. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few let's pray dear lord i thank you for today i think message we started last week you know churches uh...
1: Church kind of reminds me of a one-room schoolhouse. I've never been to one other than to visit historical sites that, that were spared and left and sometimes uh, for us to see. And I've read a number of history books where they've been mentioned, and I realized that was the custom in the culture many, many years ago. A town would rise up in the middle of nowhere, and they would hire a schoolteacher, and she taught every grade. And, uh, of course, it's amazing, you know, looking back at the McGuffey's readers and the way they would teach and how different our educational system has changed. They would teach the alphabet. Um, In Adam's fall, we send all, and letter A was all. My life to men, this book, attend, and they had a picture of the Bible for the letter B. Can you imagine if we still taught the alphabet that way? We know it as A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so on and so forth, but they taught it that way to teach them morals and to teach them the value of the Word of God. But church is is similar to a one-room schoolhouse (coughs) because as we preach on any Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Thursday night, we run the gamut of where people are at. The one-room schoolhouse, the teacher had to adapt to different grade levels and levels of maturity, levels of academia. Uh, Children who were just starting out in school and some who were already in what would our traditional system now be, junior high age, because typically in the early days they went up through eighth grade and there was some education after that, but it was very common to have an eighth grade education. Very early days. But you come to church and... uh, we run the gamut here, and I never, I never know where anybody is spiritually. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. I don't know anybody's need today. There are some people here this morning in a crowd this size, undoubtedly, that are probably lost. And it would, never, it would be my hope and prayer that that's not the case, but I always am reminded Jesus said, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? None of the other eleven ever figured out it was Judas Iscariot. So here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. Let me just say this from the, from the get-go. You must be born again. And it's not because I said so. It's because God said so. You have to be born again. You're not going to get to heaven any other way, not by your good works, not by your tithes, your offerings, getting baptized, joining your church. All those things are good, valuable components, but they don't give you any favor or merit with a holy, righteous God who demands you must be, you must be born again. He commands it and there's no, there's no option, there's no plan B for eternity. you saved or lost. And then in the Christian life, we go to the next segment of our crowd this morning. <coughs> there are some who are struggling to just in their daily walk. They don't even know how they're going to make it. They're shocked they're in church this morning. I'm not shocked, but you are. You didn't think you were going to come, and you didn't feel like coming, and for whatever reason, the Spirit of God brought you to this place this day. Maybe you came for Baby dedication. Maybe someone you knew or loved was having a child dedicated. And that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that at all. Maybe you came uh, because someone invited you, or you saw an advertisement, or a sign on the highway, or you looked up us on uh, the web. Any number of things. And then some of you, you're pretty far along in the Christian life. You've been saved for a good while, and there's not a, you. you struggle like we all do, and I'll be the first to raise my hand on that. None of us are museum pieces. We're all works in progress, regardless of how long you've been saved. Uh, Paul said, I don't count myself, I'm paraphrasing here, to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not all that yet. If the apostle Paul could say that, I think it's safe to assume that so could this guy and the rest of us. There are some who are way down the pike spiritually, and I would not put myself in this group, But I don't, and I don't know who is. And you are, man, You're. You, in fact, Surrendering to God's will is a foregone conclusion for you. You did that a long time ago. I'm not necessarily talking about Christian service, but when God speaks, you move, you respond. You're just used to it. You know, uh, it's, it's the child who is given an instruction by a parent, and obedience is prompt. Now, our children have not always done that, but we delight when they do. And Some here today, as God's children, that's where you're at. But our lesson for this morning kind of runs the gamut because we're talking about a young man, as we did last week, whose name was Demas. We don't know a lot about him. We know that from the passages that Andy led us in reading in the book of Acts, this church was established in, in uh, Thessalonica. <laughs> and so we traveled down the road 13 years later, and Demas is heading back to that place. Paul wrote a lot about the church, and he wrote two letters to the church, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and there was a lot of question and wondering about um, the return of Christ and how imminent it was and how the events um, uh, eschatologically were going to be unfolding and the order and sequence of those things and prophecy, and and all of that was uh, in front of him. But Demas goes there, and so here's Paul, and he's In the waning years of his life, he's waning days of his life, he's writing his last letter to Paul, and he's getting ready to tell him, I'm ready to be offered. It's really quite the story, the Apostle Paul and his life's journey. But what I want to preach on is where people go to get away from God. Because the average church, I was out visiting yesterday, and Andrew, welcome back, by the way. Andrew's home from college. Others will be coming home soon. And, uh, of course, others will be heading back, those particularly uh, that have been attending here for a while during the year. But uh, he and I were out visiting. One of the things that I said to him was, you know, it's been said the average church turns over every seven years. You know, and we can look around no matter where you've been, and there's a whole lot of, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so. Not necessarily disparagingly way. Sometimes people move. Sometimes the will of God takes them. But by and large, sometimes people just drop away from the faith. And we wonder, what, whatever happened? Why, why did that happen? And I think uh, Demas' life, the way the Lord unrolls it here gives us a little bit of insight. Now, so, if you were here last week, you got point one. And I'm going to continue from that spot today. But I really ask you to give me your hearts and your thoughts this morning. Do this if you would. I'm going to pray, but I want every person here this morning to ask God to speak to them in a unique way. I don't know, I don't, I don't know your need. As I said, the, one, the analogy of the one-room schoolhouse, I don't know where you're at. And I don't mean that in an unkind way. It's just a fact of life. I I pray and ask God for guidance and direction, but on any given Sunday, I don't know who's here, who's going to show, or what they're going to need. But I know we all came in needing God. And so let's pray. You pray specifically asking God to give you something. Lord, would you help us now? Guide, direct our words and thoughts, and speak to every heart as only you can, and do that work that would impact eternity. That's our prayer we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. So Demas left him. We know that Titus and Crescens also left, and most people say that they left because they were sent out by Paul. I'm not going to argue that point, but we know that Demas left, and he chose a city <coughs> to go to where Paul had started a church thirteen years prior. Typically, people leave for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to spend time belaboring them, but last week we covered. Sometimes it's wounds. I was hurt. Somebody offended me. Sometimes it's, uh, I don't want to be around a bunch of hypocrites, but everybody in life's a hypocrite. I've never lived everything I've preached. You say a pastor should never say that. I'm not sinless. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have not prayed as much as I should, nor read my Bible as much as I should. I have not been as faithful a witness for the Lord as I should have. I'm a work in progress. Each and every one of us are that way. But We so sometimes people say, well, and I don't don't like the rules. I want to call my own shots. I want to live my own life. May I remind us, the Bible says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His. But the first point that we addressed last week is unable to endure persecution or hard times. So Paul writes the church at Thessalonica. This is where Demas goes. Here's a verse that he writes to him in his first letter. For verily when we were with you, Paul said, I was there. When he arrived in A.D. 53 and he preached in the synagogue, and the Bible tells us from Acts chapter 17, many people trusted Christ. A church was established. There's no record of that church yet today remaining. Went through a lot of persecution, and it, is a, it has a, this area of a million people in the metropolitan area of what we would call Thessalonica today. Um, there's very little evidence of Christianity, less than 1% though there was a time when it was over 50%. But today, less than 1% identify themselves as Christians. A large Muslim community is there. I told you, Paul says to them, it was going to be this way. I told you it's not going to be easy. You trusted Christ. You got saved. You realized your lost condition. You realized there was no middle ground and you must be born again. And so Paul came and he preached on his missionary journey. One of his journeys came back again and he preached and he said, I told you tough times were going to come. I told you it wasn't going to be a piece of cake. The moment you got saved was a great day, best day in your life. The best day in your life is the day you trust Christ. But if you think it's going to be a piece of cake, you're in for a rude awakening. The Christian life is tough. Nothing at all like was ongoing in Paul's day, but he tells the church at Thessalonica, remember, this is where Demas goes to this place, and he said, you guys aren't able to stand. What's the deal? And I think maybe one of the reasons Demas went here was he saw how tough the area was. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, Paul writing to this young man who became a great convert and a great Christian, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Notice this, Demas never chose those three cities. He didn't go there. He didn't go to Antioch. He didn't go to Iconium. He didn't go to Lystra. Hey, Iconium, you know what happened there? Paul went there to preach, and they took him out and stoned him and left him for dead. They literally thought he was dead. They dragged him out. He was preaching, but in that city of Iconium, there was a young man. He was part Greek, and he trusted Christ in the city of Iconium. I would imagine Paul said, hey, it's not going too well today. I'm stoned. He was unconscious. They thought he was dead. He's drug out of the city. The young convert in Iconium was a young man named Timotheus that you call Timothy. He was saved there, and so sometimes we think, man, God's not at work here. Why this struggle? Why this trouble? Why this difficulty? And I don't have to put up with it all the time. It seems hard, the Christian life. Well, first of all, it's not hard compared to a lot of folks. I was reading recently, and I think it was Voice of the Martyrs, where in the month of April, 428 Christians around the world were martyred. 428. You didn't see that on CNN. It's not on the news. Do you realize every single day Christians are martyred for their faith? While we set at ease in Zion, if you will, with very little threat of persecution and difficulty and hard times. But Paul says, hey, listen, persecutions, afflictions came unto me. I went here and preached. They beat me. I went to this city. They stoned me. I went to this city. They threw me in jail. But out of every single one of them, the Lord delivered me. It doesn't matter what you're going to face in life. Sometimes people bail on God because it's just too tough. It's just too hard. And the level of our hard we're, we're, we're so spoiled in our culture today because the level of difficulty for us is, oh man, I can only hit the snooze button two more times to make it on time. The level of our difficulty is trying to figure out where we're going to eat after church on a Sunday third world, first world problems, right? I mean, we're sitting there struggling. We're trying to figure out what are we going to wear to church? Like we don't have anything to wear. Whereas, you know, three quarters of the world today will try to figure out what, if, if they're going to have anything to eat today. Man, we are spoiled beyond words in our country and in our culture. But sometimes, and I think Demas was that, he left because he wasn't able to endure persecution. There was a young man named Bakitar Singh. His, his name given to him by his friends was Jolly. He was from Punjab, India, and he was born in a very strong Sikh household. In the Sikh, the men did, typically didn't cut their hair and they wore it up in a turban. They were very, very strong in their faith, and they required all of their young men to go to a Sikh seminary. And if you ever decided to betray your faith, you were considered dead. In fact, sometimes you were persecuted even to that point. But Jolly, as we'll call him, when he was a young boy, he showed up at his school, and unbeknownst to the locals in that Sikh community, his teacher was a Christian. And he came and said he was struggling with some things, and his teacher said, Jolly, you need Jesus Christ. It was the first time he'd ever heard the name Jesus Christ, but he thought, how strange, how foreign to me. I need Jesus Christ. He said, you need Jesus Christ. He can help you. But he couldn't say any more about that, so the teacher kind of left him, and he got into his adolescent years, and I think he was about 12, 13 years of age, and a friend of his in the Sikh community, but all the while keeping it very secretive. They were playing, and Sikh uh, had, a, had a situation where it was very clear that he was struggling, and his friend looked at him, and he said, Jolly, he said, you know what you need? He said, what's that, my friend? He said, you need Jesus Christ. It was the second time in that Sikh community that he heard about Jesus Christ, and he thought, who is this Jesus Christ? I've never heard that before, but, but I'm told that I, I need Jesus Christ. And so, it wasn't shortly thereafter that he was able to acquire some copies or pages, if you will, of the Bible. And he learned who Jesus Christ was through pages of the gospel. He didn't have an entire New Testament or Bible together because it was against the law. And he began to read and he learned who this Jesus Christ was. He became a Christian. He told his parents about Jesus Christ and his dad beat him. His dad told him, he said, you must give that up. And he said, you must give that up. You're dishonoring or we'll disown you. And as a older teenage boy, his dad threatened him with imprisonment and turned him into the authorities for trusting Jesus Christ. There was no threat of that for you and me today. So he winds up kicking him out of his house and He comes back home for a short while and Jolly uh, learns that uh, his dad has taken his Bible and his dad destroyed it, ripped out all the pages and set them aflame. Then he told him, he said, that's what I think of your faith. No more of this Jesus Christ. And Jolly then uh, went and acquired another copy of the New Testament and he began to, he tore out every page of the New Testament, separated them. So he could hide them in other books. So his dad would think he was reading a piece of literature and he would have pages that were folded inside there that were actually copies of the Word of God. How desperate am I to read the Bible? Would I do that? I have it on my phone. I have it on my iPad. I can listen to it on the way to work tomorrow. I have copies of the Bible everywhere. I have them in my living room. I have them on my nightstand. I have them in my office. We are spoiled with copies of the Bible. And there are probably some of us here this morning that don't even know the last time we've picked up one to read it aside from the moments we sit in church and it's flashed upon a screen in front of us. Was that too harsh? That's where we're at. And so Jolly winds up being turned into the authorities by his father. He shows up after he has fully converted to Christianity, been baptized, and he cut his hair, which was a great shame for a man in the Sikh community. And his dad said, you are dead to me. And he left home and he started a church. And when it was discovered that he had started a secret church, he was thrown in prison for three years. Guess what he did as soon as he got out of prison? He started preaching again. He's now in the United States trying to start a church. It's amazing the persecution and suffering that goes on in our world today, but not to us. Sometimes we unable to endure persecution or hard times. Let me say this further. Secondly, I think the church at Thessalonica was a place for Demas to land because it was a place where they were careless in their daily walk. He writes to the church at Thessalonica, and here's indication of a problem there. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The Bible reminds us to be sober because your adversary, the roaring lion, as a, uh, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. You say, What is that? It was very clear that sometimes in our daily walk, we get away from the things of God. We've heard much of our spiritual life. You ought to be reading the Bible every day. We've heard much of our spiritual life that we ought to to pray. We've heard much of our spiritual life that we ought to be a a good witness and a good testimony. But many times it's easier to go to a place. In fact, I hear it all the time. I I read about it. I want to go to a church where I'm never convicted. I don't want anybody telling me how to live. Why? I don't tell people how to live. The Word of God does that. That way, you, you could always have an issue with me, but if our issue is ever with God, we're in trouble. And so sometimes we say, well, I, I want to go someplace where I can just be me. I don't want to just be me. I, I, me is not a very good version. I want God to take this me and make it something different. I, I don't want to be the old stew. I, I want to be a better version of this guy. I know what this guy is, and I know what this guy is capable of. I know the thoughts he's had over 56 years. I know the deeds he's done over 56 years. I know the words that he has said and the, the, the hurt that he has cast upon others. I know this guy. And I don't want to come to a place where I am content. Just let me alone and let me be me. That's not church. I want a place where the Word of God is preached. Where I am challenged and charged and convicted. And where, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think it was Spurgeon who said, you need to preach repentance to strike the sinner in a heap. We don't want that anymore. Can you just make me feel good about me? No, I can't because God says, you have no works of righteousness but I'm pretty good. No, God says, no, that's, that's not the case. And I think Demas went to a place where he could get away from the daily grind of, I got to do this. And by the way, there's great liberty in Christ. Sometimes people look at that as a, a burden to be born. It's not a burden to be born to live for God. It's an opportunity. It's a chance to live out the faith that we profess. Yet sometimes people say, Yeah, but I want to I be free to do what I want. I don't want to be telling me how to how to live, how to act, what I can do, what I can take. I, I, I want to do my own thing. Demas said the same thing. So Paul writes to the church there and he says, Hey, let me remind you, church, don't sleep. Don't take ease as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so in the last Chapter of his life, he writes a book to a young, a letter to a young man who was saved at that place where Paul was beaten and left for dead. And he says, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. But you, Timothy, you be an example of the believers. I'm so reminded of that, particularly with baby dedication today. Because as a boy, I looked up to a lot of people. I can remember sitting in church and looking up to people. I remember the first couple that I had that were, uh, I guess you would call them youth directors. Uh, they were only in our church for a couple of years, and, and I remember being in junior high school. And he was, a, he was a sergeant in the military, and he and his wife, they were just there for three years. I, I've never heard from him or seen him again. But, but I remember sitting in, in my, my Sunday school class, and I remember activities, and I remember church, and I remember watching them. And I remember thinking, boy, I like what they've got. I like what they have. And every one of us are an example to somebody. And so he says, you're going to be an example to someone. Someone is looking up to you. Someone is dependent upon you. Don't let anybody despise it. Don't let anybody take advantage of it. Don't let anybody rob you of it. But be an example of the believers. How? In word. The things we speak. Our conversation. That's our lifestyle. How we live. That's why Paul said, if meat make my brother do offend, I'll eat no meat While As long as the world standeth. Because he was so concerned about, who sees me? How do I live? Every person under the sound of my voice today is an influence to someone. Your children first and foremost. Your spouse, your siblings, your co-workers, your neighbors. David said, the wicked watcheth the righteous. Did you ever think about that? You got up and came to church this morning and your neighbor was out there washing their car. And I'm not picking on their neighbor. There could be you and me. But I'll say this. David said the wicked watcheth the righteous. The things we do, the life we live, your testimony. It doesn't by the way. Don't think for a minute it makes us any better than anybody else. If you think that you're missing my point, that's not my point. I'm no better than anybody else. And the guy who didn't come to church, I'm no better than him saved by the grace of God. That's the distinction. Not because I'm a good guy, because I'm not. But he said, listen, he said, Demas left, and I think one of the reasons he went is he wanted to go to a place where there was no pressure. Someone told me last week after they left the service, they said, boy, you were all over my feet today. And I realize that that's an expression that we use sometime in church, stepping on our toes. You should never want for a church You should never want for a message where you don't feel something. You you should never want for a place where God does not speak to your heart. We've lost that in our culture today. Because we worry, what do they think? What will they say? The day will come when I will stand before the Lord and I don't say it in, 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 with arrogance at all. In fact, I, I say it with great fear. To stand before God Almighty. The Bible says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself when you and I stand before God. The first question will be whether or not you trusted him. That's the judgment seat of Christ, if you're saved. If you're not, that's the great white throne judgment. But at the judgment seat of Christ, I'll give an answer for what I did with what I had. What are you doing with what you have? I had dear friends when I was in school, and I'll close with this thought: we uh, we sang together in a in a quartet. My wife, of course, she wasn't my wife then, but uh, she would become my wife, and she played the piano. And uh, of that quartet, I, I'm the only one in church today that that I know of. And I, I don't say that in a bragging way. Please, please don't misunderstand, because it is by God's grace. And also, I credit my parents for bringing me, making me go when I didn't want to go. But I look back through the years, and can you imagine how... <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Resentes and I uh, and John, I think it was about maybe a year and a half ago, we were were going through the list of every visitor that we've had just in the two-plus years, and now it's been over three and a half years that we've been here. And at that point, it was over 400. And I, I realize that Timberline is not for everybody. I understand that. We welcome everybody, but it's not for everybody. And I realize that a lot of people want something different. But we ought to desire to be in a place where God moves and God works. And I'm not content to stay just like I am. But I want to do as the songwriter says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights. I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, would you you plant my feet on higher ground? I don't want to be content. I want to be convicted. I want to know that if I go to a doctor, I don't want that doctor to look at me when I, when I am sick or terminal. I don't want him to look at me and say, oh, you're fine. Don't you worry about it. You're good. I want him to speak the truth. When our youngest daughter was diagnosed with inoperable liver cancer, I didn't want him to sugarcoat anything. I, want him to be, I told him, I said, tell me what we got to do. Tell me what her, her her and she went through all the chemo and surgeries and all of that and year in the hospital all of that. But I wanted to know everything. Don't try to sugarcoat it to me. Tell me. But Demas said, "I don't want that. I just want to fit in. I just want to feel good." How about you today? Tough times. Do we just want to go where we're comfortable, or do we want to be challenged? Do we want to be charged? Do we want to be convicted? Do we want to, if we can say it this way, take it to the next level in our life spiritually? Demas left. There's no record of him after this chapter. You never hear from him again. But for 2,000 years, we've read of a man who bailed and bolted on God. May that not be said of us. May we say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but I don't want to leave. I want to be at a place where you're speaking, where you're moving, and where your work is being done in my heart and the hearts of others. Shall we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. It would be the greatest decision you've ever made. And I don't know anybody's spiritual condition. As I said, they would say, I don't want to get away from God. I don't want to be looking for a place like Thessalonica. I want to trust that the Lord has for me what I need here. And I want to be faithful to seek that. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home if you were to die today, you're not sure about eternity with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, would you simply lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not even sure that I'm a Christian, that I've trusted Christ. I don't know for sure that if I were to die that I'd go to heaven. Is there one like that? Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you, and I mean that. I won't call you down. I, I would not do it. Is there one like that? You say, pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Please pray for me. I want to know that. How many of you would say, again, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and a way of testimony, you'd say, I am a Christian. I know that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that beyond a shadow of doubt. Would you lift your hand as a quick testimony? God bless you. God bless you. Many, many hands. You put them down as quickly as you raise them. God bless you. Many, many hands. How many would say, God spoke to me very clearly about something today? And maybe I have become careless in my walk. It's easy. I've done that. I've been down that road before. I'll be the first to raise my hand on that. Is there someone who'd say, God spoke to me about that? Would you lift your hand? God bless you. God bless you. Many, many hands. You can put them down. Listen, when God speaks to us, it's because He wants us to move. And never resist an impulse of the Holy Spirit. And if God has convicted or challenged or charged us in a way, then it's incumbent upon us to respond. And my prayer is that you and I would do just that. Let's never be looking for a place to get away from God, but let's seek a place that will draw us to Him, a place personally and a place corporately. Lord, would you bless in our invitation time. Help us to be receptive and responsive, Lord. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. While the piano plays, if God spoke to you this morning, would you come? You're welcome to pray at your seat, of course. Maybe there's someone who'd say, I just want to come and tell the Lord, I don't want to get away from Him. It's on my heart today, and I don't want to be looking for someplace else spiritually. I want to draw close to God. I don't want to get away from Him. Some of you are not able to come, perhaps, but you're welcome to pray there at your seat. Have you minded the Lord today? Many folks praying, others I'm sure praying at their seats. How many of you know that song she's playing? I know I've told the story before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in the first verse. But this was written by a young man who was a teenager. I think he was 16 when he wrote it. William Featherstone. He was from Canada, and he wrote it in the 1860s. And he noticed a wayward drift of his friends. And he said, I don't want to go that road. And so he wrote this as a poem. Never heard it sung. It was put to music after his death. He died a young man in his 20s. But boy, what a, what a powerful message and song it is for us today. Here we are now having... It's been, been sung in churches and across the country and around the world for over a century from a young man who said, I want to let people know I don't want to get away from God. That's what this song says. Sing it with me. Do you know it? My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee all the follies. For Thee, all the fault of sin, I resign. Sing it out. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art Thou... Think about this last part. If ever I love Thee, My Jesus, tis now. From the lips and pen of a 16-year-old boy, 150 years ago, what a prayer. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Thank you so much for being here. I certainly want to invite you back tonight. Tonight we'll we'll meet at 5 o'clock and uh, hope you'll be here for our service. And then... uh, 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 of course, our midweek on Thursday night, always a good opportunity with our Bible study and our Awana program. Boy, the Awana program has really taken off this year and excited about that opportunity in our community. Uh, we have close to 100 every Thursday night, county workers, and man, we're just grateful for that opportunity to provide influence. I, I hope you'll, you'll put to heart and mind some of the thoughts from the message, and it is my heart's desire to help us. Uh, To help me, but to help each and every one of us, because the temptation will always be present to drift from the things that we know are right. And may God help us to stand fast, as Paul said in Ephesians, having done all to stand. And so thank you for that. Robert, why don't you come and dismiss us in prayer, and make sure you show yourself friendly to one another. The Bible says, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And again, if you're here as a guest, we're so honored you came. And I do hope you'll take a moment to fill out the connection card, drop that off in the seat back there in front of you. And if you'll, or located in the seat back, if you'll drop it off at the counter on your way out, we have a gift we'd like to put in your hand. We're always very honored for guests that come our way. I hope you have a a blessed Sunday afternoon. Thank you again for being with us. And if you can be here tonight, five o'clock. And uh, if not, if you're not able to be here, please be in prayer for our service that God would continue to speak to us. We got a different heading a little bit of a different direction tonight in the Sunday evening service, and you say, what is it? I don't know yet. Um, I have two that I've written, and I trust in the Lord to show me which one, or uh, I'll scare you. Maybe we'll preach them both. No, um, but I do appreciate your prayers for that tonight at five o'clock. Robert, please dismiss us in prayer.
0: Uh, What a good day in uh, the house of the Lord. Amen. Um, Let's uh, bow our head, and we'll Pray and be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we are uh so thankful to be in your house this morning, dear Lord, with a sunny day, dear Lord, uh wonderful preaching, dear Lord. I take that uh I pray that we would take this to our heart, dear Lord, as uh as uh we would strive to hear your word, dear Lord, that it would uh, uh make us better, dear Lord. I pray that you just let us be better for being here today. Dear Lord, I pray you'd be their pastor. Continue to guide him, guide him in tonight's service. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd be with all that are here. Let them have a great day this afternoon. Get some rest, dear Lord. We're thankful for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you're dismissed.